Hey guys, this is Tom Glover, and this is the first inaugural episode of the Happy Trails podcast. Uh, came up with this idea to showcase individuals, wranglers, hunting guides, people that have used horses, used our national forest trail system, and various methods uh, to go hunting for pleasure, vacation, whatever. Uh, figured there's a lot of stories out there from those types of people, and decided to start a podcast. And what better way to get this thing kicked off than to have our good friend and best buddy, Jonathan Strom, interview me and my hunting partner, Joel Merrick. We just Here got... There he is. We just got back from a week-long Montana backcountry archery do-it-yourself elk hunt. I'm trying to think if I got all the descriptors there. Uh, anyway, we had a hell of a time. That's where this this idea spawned from and here we are at Jonathan's house and he is going to we're going to flip the script and he's going to interview us about our recent trip and uh so yeah let's jump right into it great all right so I guess first question uh as I guess the city slicker out of the three is maybe describe kind of the preparation that went into the hunt you know starting from the type of gear you packed, practicing permits, um, connecting up with you know, the guide and people in Montana, kind of go through that process, maybe take some time to just kind of explain, you know, how that all played out. Well, should we should we back up a bit and describe our relationship to each other? Oh, yeah. Guess, we're, we're, uh, yeah I guess you're wondering who these three jacklegs are. We're sitting in this soundproof room in Strom's new house. <laughs> Uh, staring at a Tony Montana Scarface. Yeah, there's a Tony Montana Scarface poster in the corner. So we all went to St. Thomas Catholic High School for boys here in Houston. Uh, so needless to say, we have grown very, very close to each other. All of our shenanigans and stories, we could do a whole series of podcasts on those. Uh, we ended up all going to Texas A&M University, uh, graduated in 2012, and have since all basically relocated back into Houston uh, to start our various careers, which... (laughs) So this hunt Joel and I went on is something we've been planning for a long time, almost over a year, and uh, we finally did it, and we made it happen. We we were unsuccessful as far as harvesting an elk goes, but I feel like our story is very similar to a lot of guys out there who are going on their first elk hunt, not sure where to start, where to get their information, you know, what what to bring, what not to bring. You know, we, we figured it out on the fly, uh, did as much research as we could. So we thought this would be a great idea to sit down and just kind of go over these things. And, you know, maybe there's someone out there planning on doing the similar type of hunt next year and can use this uh, to their advantage. So anyway, that's just a little background on us. We're, we're best buds. We go way back. So, uh, we've got a lot of inside jokes and shenanigans, but, uh, excuse us if there's something you don't understand. We'll try to. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll be the naive, inexperienced hunter. So. For, what do you mean you'll be? You are. I, okay, <laughs> I, I am. So, and so both of y'all have been hunting for, you know, at least. My, my life. For a lot of life. Yeah. So you both bow hunted, rifle hunted, you know, duck. The pretty much any kind of hunting, you've all done it. 
Well, in Texas, and in Texas, different as y'all probably know that we hunt over corn feeders and we wait, we get out there early before the sun comes up, and we wait for a big old buck to come out, and then blam, he's dead. We uh, we have since moved on from that style of hunting. Not to say we don't do that to acquire meat, but we're always looking for the next big thing, and and, and we've spent our younger years doing that type of hunting, so we couldn't wait to get out of Texas and uh, experience a. <laughs> The most hardcore shit I've ever done. Uh, Joel can probably agree to that. Agreed. Anyway, Strom, he, he's our buddy from Houston. He, he hadn't spent a lot of time in the woods. Last time he shot a rifle, he scoped himself. <laughs> twice. 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 Well, I wasn't going to say that much. Well, I'm just full disclosure. Twice. <laughs> uh, I've since healed. I've since healed. Uh, Not that scar, though. Yeah, I still, I do have a scar. Harry Potter up in this bitch. So, so, I guess you talk about the Eshon, so... Bow hunting is the premier like challenge as far as hunting goes. Eh, yes, I'd say. I mean, yeah. you can go to spear hunting. <laughs> or I mean, you know, like, well, let's not go back to the Mayan days. Let's, let's focus <laughs> well, there, there's always the, the, these guys that are like, okay, I don't want to only bow hunt. I want to do it with a long bow, or I want to do it with a recurve bow that make you know. Just there's always a way to make it harder for yourself, and I'm not interested in that at this point in my life. I think doing it with a compound bow and, and you got to get within 50, 40 yards to make a, you know, an ethical clean kill. And I wouldn't push it further than that. So yeah, I would say compared to rifle hunting, at least it is much more challenging. You have to consider your scent, the wind direction, uh, your shot placement, you know, all sorts of things. And, and the, the, the most little mistakes are, are amplified on a bow because just, there's not a lot of room for forgiveness. So yeah, I would say it's definitely the more challenging way to hunt. And doing it without a guide, like we did, makes it even harder. So we pretty much were out there hiking around trying to find these things uh, by ourselves. No, no no prior knowledge to this area. Never been there before. Well, that's not true. I went and scouted in July. Yeah, it was, or yeah, July, end of July. Me and the other guy, my brother-in-law, went on the trip. We went and scouted. It wasn't much of a scouting hunt, or, you know, I guess it wasn't much of a scouting adventure. It was more of, you know, getting familiar with the landscape, finding, uh, you know, game trails. We did find, did find a few game trails. We didn't hike near as much as what we did in, uh, you know, in this past, in the September, but uh, we found a good camping spot. We found a good area. We got familiar with the maps. We kind of, like, did, like, a little dry run type of deal, you know, trailhead-wise, and um, you know, got a good camping gear list. Uh, I use the same camping gear list both times, really. And then Tom, he'll be able to expound upon a little bit more of the, the hunting gear side of things because we geeked out on that pretty good. Uh, but that was actually pretty beneficial just because we were a lot more comfortable going back in there, you know, having a really good understanding of the landscape and how tough it was going to be and kind of preparing our minds for it. Yeah, I'll never forget Joel got back from that scouting trip and I couldn't wait to ask him all about it. Like, hey, how was it? You know, was it cool? Did y'all see a bunch of elk? He goes, no, we didn't see any elk. It's the most rugged, hardest to travel through terrain I've ever seen. This is coming from Joel. We weathered out a thunderstorm. We were hot. We were cold. We got wet. You know, my boots fell apart. It sounded like almost a disaster. But looking back on it, it was definitely beneficial that y'all got all that shit out of the way because... It, I feel like y'all, you and Andrew, uh, definitely, you know, went back on those experiences. And say, hey, look, last time we were here, 
we went over here and saw, a, you know, a really oaky area, stuff like that. So it definitely was beneficial. And I, I would say at the very least, put it in pers into perspective where we were going yeah, and what we were dealing with. So on this initial trip with you and Andrew, what, what were you, I guess, looking for as far as like traits or signs that, okay, elk have been passing through here, or I think this might be a good spot or this might be where elk come to you know, drink or what kind of telltale signs are saying, hey, this might be a good spot to come back when we're actually hunting. So, I mean, mainly what it was was looking for game trails, looking for fresh poop, looking for any kind of elk sign, smelling them. I mean, we did find a game trail pretty much right above camp. It was only probably 200 feet above camp, maybe not even that much. And, uh, you know, we got pretty stoked about it and we followed it for a while. We smelled the elk. We knew they were high because it was hot. And, you know, like I said, we didn't cover near as much ground and drainages as we did in our September hunt, but that's kind of the strategy that we almost used for the September hunt. You know, we'd find an elky area and, and just find a trail and hike in it. You know, it wasn't necessarily a, a national forest trail because that's what we came in on, but um, things that were higher, things that were, you know, lower than us or, or you know, what's ha what have you. And that's kind of, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of expectation in regards to the physical scouting aspect of it, just because I hadn't been camping in probably, shit, four or five years maybe. Like, camping like that, we're backpacking in 12 miles and setting up our own camp in bear country and making sure we have all that stuff set up. I don't think I've ever done that. Yeah. We were talking about that on the trip. Yeah, like, that's true. I that's can't remember the last time I went for a hike, except for like maybe with my family in Colorado in the summer. We went on like a little four mile loop. But not like an intense. No. Right. Everything I've done has been on horseback. And, that, and that's almost where I almost gained more confidence doing that, that pre pack trip, just because, you know, I was new to all that stuff. And Andrew, you know, he, Andrew, he was a ranger, did four tours in Iraq. So, I mean, obviously, I was I was real comfortable with him, and I was comfortable with myself, but like I said, it just kind of made everything come together whenever we actually got out there and, you know, started camping and doing stuff. So, why don't you, you mentioned Andrew, he's the third leg of this hunt. Tell, tell us, I guess, a little about your brother yeah, and where he comes from. That would help to introduce him. So, um, Andrew Locke, he's my brother-in-law. Uh, he went to West Point. Uh, he also went to St. Thomas, actually, and grew up. That's where he met my sister. And then they got married uh, after he graduated from West Point. Um, didn't really, he's got a pretty interesting story. That's probably something Tom could do in a future podcast and interview Andrew just about his mentality and story because we actually learned a lot about it. I personally learned a lot about him, um, you know, within the first trip and the second trip and, you know, kind of his story. But yeah. so he went to West Point, graduated. He got married to my sister. Um, he went to Ranger School, did the Ranger Regiment. Uh, he went uh, three tours in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, combined. Uh, he's pretty much a badass. Uh, very humble guy, very good guy. Uh, never had been or picked up a bow in his whole entire life. Uh, my dad actually gave him a bow about six months ago when he started practicing. And, uh, you know, he didn't really know what to expect. Almost zero experience. Um, so that was kind of like the wild card on the trip, and it turned out being very very comfortable actually very helpful yeah you know, I, he was just very extreme about everything he's a very intense guy so. yeah i remember on like the early stages of planning this trip obviously joel and i were going to do it you know we're, we're hunting partners for life like we're, we grew up bow hunting together you know we basically are going to do everything together and 
he was like, hey, wh- what do you think about Andrew coming with us? Like, well, you know, that would probably probably would be awesome because I've never I've met him a couple of times. I've hung out with him here and there. Never really got to know him, but shit, this guy's been an Army Ranger for ten years, and you know, it, it became very apparent in the trip, you know, right off the bat that. He, he had it together as far as mapping and routing, and he had this this, this tactical mindset that was very important with hunting. And, and he may he may not have very much experience as a bow hunter, but hell, from that he he made up with just uh, his, his leadership, his guidance. I mean, what is he? He's in mid thirties, yeah. So he's a, he's a you know maybe five six seven years older than us, and uh, yeah, he, he was great to have around and, and and always confident. You know, never hesitated to jump up. You know, climb up a mountain or do whatever. So yeah, I, I think having him along was, was super beneficial, and I learned a lot from him, and he learned a lot about you know actual fine points about hunting from us. So it ended up working out great, and I can't wait to go back out there with him. Uh, he was definitely not the uh, not the liability that my sister told me that he was going to. <laughs> <laughs> she told me that I, I about uh, I was like, are you kidding me right now? So, but yeah, uh, definitely not a liability. Definitely a great uh, addition to everything. So you'll hear him kind of throughout probably this podcast and story so what what's the season how long is the season when does it start when is it in as far as bow hunting up there do you know yeah uh so in montana bow season is uh open september 1 and it's six weeks long so i, I don't have the exact i don't know the exact dates but i'm pretty sure it's, you know september 1 till like october 15th so you have quite a long time uh, yeah so and then, and then from there you go into the, the rifle season, and then I think that's about what maybe a month long, yeah, and then then it yeah, and then it uh, then everything shuts down because it's you know deep in winter at that point. Okay, so now that we have a little bit, I guess, of a background of y'all, um, I guess tell me the process of getting a permit in Montana. How how many they give out? What's the I guess the application process, or if there is one, kind of how you go about doing that to where Attack. I know how to almost fuck it up. <laughs> well, why, don't you, why don't you explain how you do it properly first? I'll let Tom uh, so, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how to get one. Uh, Joel decided to wait till the last minute and almost, almost did not get one. So, one of the things about big game hunting in mountain states, you know, and elk in particular, is every state's different. You've got bonus points, you got draw systems, preference points. You know, lottery, general tags, shoulder seasons, you name it. It's, it's very complicated and confusing. Uh, one thing about Montana, and one of the reasons we picked that state, is they have a lot of the over-the-counter opportunities where just your average Joe can buy an, a license and a tag and go hunt without having to have preference points built up year after year. You know, it's not a very high-demand area so that you're, you're competing with a lot of other hunters. So that's why we picked Montana. And the way it works uh, basically is that Montana gives out a certain number of elk licenses a year. And I think it's something like 17,000. Yeah. And historically, these licenses are, or just in general, in principle, these licenses are, are sold until they run out. It's a quota. You know, we've got 17,000 elk are going to die, and that's a, the only amount we're going to sell. Well, not that many are going to die because not everyone's going to kill one. But anyway, uh, so there's a pretty good chance you can get one and go hunting in just a general unit that doesn't require a, a draw tag. Well, this year, 
I bought my tag and my plane ticket on the same day because I wasn't going to buy one without the other. And I sent all the information to uh, the fellow sitting next to me, Joel Merrick, and told him, hey, here's my flights. Here's the tag information. You better get on this because they're going to run out or there's a chance they can run out. So anyway, long story short, it's not very hard to buy a license and an elk tag. As long as you're hunting in a unit, it doesn't require a special draw tag. Yeah. See what I'm saying? So it's like a supply and demand. There's these certain units that have a lot of fine, big, nice elk, or they have a small number of them, and then there's a lot of hunters that want to go there, so they only issue a small amount of tags. In these units where we're going, there's a lot of elk, but not a lot of guys that are willing to do what we did to get back there and hunt them. So there, there's a surplus, and they just say, hey, if you're willing to pay the tag price, you can go back and hunt. Well, this year, and Joel, correct me if I'm wrong, was the first year that they've ran out. Uh, well, not necessarily the first year they ran out. It was the first year that the demand was like over 70 or 80% than what it was in the previous years before, which I actually went on a hunt in the crazy mountains uh, with my friends, uh, Zach and Chad and Ben. And we did the similar trip. It was a little bit, it was a little bit less extreme, a little bit uh, easier terrain type of thing. But I mean, we waited until probably I think it was three weeks before the trip to buy the tag because the surplus attack or the, the number of tags that were available were were not getting, uh, they weren't getting drawn or I guess they weren't getting taken up by other other people. So I didn't seem to worry about it too much. And. So yeah, so we, that was almost like a disadvantage you had because you're used to the fact that you could show up yeah. two or three weeks before or go online and buy one, and there's plenty available. Yeah. But, you know, this is my first time to ever go on this type of hunt. And I've been in the backcountry. I've guided before. You know, I've worked at an elk outfitting camp. We can go into that later. But I was, I was, my whole perspective was like, I'm not going to plan this whole trip and not get attacked. So that was one of the things I wanted to do right off the bat was get my tag and then book my flights. Like I said earlier, I wasn't going to do one without the other. So, yeah, uh, mentality is a little different. Joel was used to it just being where you can show up the day of, buy a tag, and everyone's, you know, on their merry way. But, oh, boy, was that a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so, basically what happened was, so, so, I guess, to get into the specifics for anybody who actually is curious about the, the physical process of, you know, going online and getting it. You go to Montana Parks and Wildlife, you can Google it. And basically, you can Google elk hunting license 2017 Montana Parks and Wildlife. And it'll come up, and it's actually fairly easy. Uh, there's numbers you can call uh, to see the avail availability of tags. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a step process. Uh, the one thing that kind of threw us off, or I guess threw Andrew off, was the fact that you have to have, they changed the rule where you have to have an archery uh, you have to have an archery certification, which Thomas got around that. I guess you can explain that. I don't really know how you got around that, but yeah, I, I talked to a lady on the phone. Cause once I hit that, that snag you're talking about, I just picked up the phone and I called the lady in that region and, uh, like, Hey, you know, I'm out of state. It was my first elk bow hunt. You know, I, I bought the general license for elk, uh, which is the main part of it. You know, I just want to make sure before I, I put my credit card information in that I'm doing the right thing. And, you know, I'm not going to miss a step or miss an important ingredient. She goes, oh, no, no, that's, all you got to do is buy, buy your general elk license. And we've got plenty left. <laughs> that's what she told me. And uh, But you're archery hunting, so you have to buy an archery license. 
it's only ten dollars and if you've ever completed a, a hunter education program you know within the last 30 or 40 years whatever it was you should be fine i said okay or, and she even told me if you have a license from texas that allows you to bow hunt which in texas you can just yeah you just buy a license and you can Part do of the yeah you can do whatever you want and so she was like well you just got to come to come in and, and show us your hunting license from last year in texas and we'll give you a bow permit i was like well not really in the in the itinerary to stop by anywhere and show someone my hunter ed thing and or my, my license so i ended up finding a link to that archery tag and it said have you ever completed a hunter education class i said well yeah in texas and just like most states once you reach a certain age you got to complete hunter safety to be able to hunt on your own and i have had that thing laminated in my wallet since i was 16 years old and i keep it in there and i still have it in there and it just asked me for the the id number your hunter certification id number and it's like a six digit number you know you could have probably just made one up but uh i entered that in and said congratulations here's your archery permit or your archery license and and i printed it off you know it tells you to print it keep it with you so boom you've got your general tag and your general license which allows you to hunt elk in the state of montana and then you've got your archery license which allows you to archery hunt so your license has a tag on it they send it to you so boom you got your, your license and your archery license and I think it's where Andrew got, he got a little held up because he hadn't had Hunter Ed or any kind of archery like experience or classes. So he actually had to take an online archery class in order to input that information whenever he was getting a tag for the archery license. So oh, that, so was, that was like the only difference. It wasn't a big pain in the ass. It was pretty easy. So he did it legit. And yeah, he, yeah, he didn't do it legit. So what'd you do? You entered your... No, well, so it was either, you, you either had the Hunter's Ed course or you had been hunting in Montana before. Oh, I got and you. And so since the rule had just changed a couple years ago, I had already been in, it was 20, 20. It's like three years ago? No, it was longer than that. I think it was junior year of college. So, so anyways. Um, we all got our our stuff. Yeah. So, the, well, so, so we all got our stuff, but uh, so the third of, I think it was the third of the fifth, I think it was the fifth of September, we were leaving on the 8th, and the 5th of September was the last, like, available time that they were going to put new tags. Well, wait, so back up a step. So, Joel and Andrew go online to buy these licenses. We, I don't think we said this. Yeah, and they ran out. All 17,000 general Montana elk licenses have been sold out. I about shit my pants. <laughs> Me too. Well, I, yeah, I was actually excited. I was like, oh, shit, I got three guys. Could come help me hunt an elk. I've got the one tag. But anyway, so they didn't get it. They called, like, are you sure y'all are out? Like, yeah, we're out. But we're releasing all the give back tags, all the leftover tags. So if someone got a tag and then something happened where they can't go hunting in the, this season, they'll give the tag back for a refund. And on that day, I think it was September 5th at 5 a.m., they released them. Do you know how many they released? It was like 100 of them? No, I think, so we called the week, with, I called the Friday before. I was sitting at my house drinking beer, and I forgot to call them, and I called them. And they said that they had been given back 52. Total. <laughs> so she told me, she was like, you need to be on that computer at 5 a.m. on September 5th, Mountain Time. To log in, that's whenever they post everything. She said like 5:03 a.m. or whatever. 
So me and Andrew were hovering over the computer at freaking 5 o'clock in the morning on September 5th trying to get those licenses. And, and thank God they were right. I called the lady that day and said, you know, I want to make sure that everything is set up for me. To, it's going to pop up. She said, fine. It was easy schmeasy, really. Yeah, it, was, it was great. But lesson learned, if you go to Montana, do an over-the-counter, don't wait to get a tag. Do it. Do it. I mean, I think it, the first the first opening, whenever they release the drugs, is like March. So you can do it from March and all the way until they run out. Until they run out, yeah. It's a, it's a, they'll sell them until they're out. And and I, I don't know. I feel like I, I've listened to so many of these hunting podcasts and on social media. I feel like just bow hunting and the backcountry in general has become more, more and more popular as information is getting out there, stories are being told. And that's something I want to, I, I hope to do with this podcast is. is bring those forward and get more people interested in bow hunting because obviously the more hunters there are the better the sport is in general because we got a voice and all that we can go in way deep into that on a later date but yeah so bow hunting is becoming more popular elk hunting is becoming more popular get your tags early don't wait um so yeah that's that's our spiel on that so what so at the end of the day what was it three days before we we're leaving we all finally had our tags. Yeah, I mean, I was almost anticipating just going on another camping trip. Yeah, I, I was ex- expecting to have a, a camera guy, a yeah. caller, a uh, butler. You know, they're just going to be. You could always fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah fish. Yeah, I would fishing. Fish my ass off. Oh my god. <clears throat> all right, so now you got you got your flights, you got all your your proper licenses, permits, tags, everything like that. So now packing what. Outside of the bow and you know your essential clothing, arrows and arrows, basically what you need to kill. You know what what kind of essential things did you did you pack or did you research and said, hey, this is what we need to bring on this hunt. You know, Joel, you've been on a hunt before. Thomas, you have too. But as far as like a pretty intense hunt in Montana, what are some of the things that you brought that you you know were like? I need this and stuff that you didn't think you needed. And you were like, man, I'm really glad I brought this. So, I mean, Thomas can definitely take the reins on this, but I look at it a lot more simple. And if you're, <laughs> if you're a simple guy, so I, I got, like I said, the, the, uh, the camping trip before, before we had gone, Andrew made a list based on, it, I guess we kind of both came up with a list, had some feedback and it was pretty, Pretty much, it pretty much covered everything you needed for the camping aspect of everything. We just needed more of it because we were going to be in the backcountry for you know seven days as opposed to three. And uh, and you know so I have the list it's saved on my computer. Like if anybody is listening and wants it, uh, obviously we can give that out. It's pretty well, simple. It's yeah, pretty we can standard. post it. Yeah. You can post it on the show notes. And, yeah. and, and I, I've got a gear list and a food list too. And you know, it's your basic camping stuff: tent, you know, tarp pot stove you know food and baby wipes well i guess an important thing to note for our hunting trip is we had the luxury of four pack horses oh yeah and this is an interesting story and pretty incredible how we got into this uh i'm gonna give the, the the shortened version but so we've got a buddy who lives in and out of Bozeman, goes from Texas to Montana. He's got five Mustangs that he uses to pack hunts, do pack trips, fishing trips, you name it. He heard we're going to Montana and we wanted him to come with us. You know, he's one of our our best hunting buddies and and we were 
you know, we, we wanted him to come. Fortunately, in other, other circumstances, he was unable to. But he volunteered for us to use his horses because while he lives in Texas, he keeps them at our at our ranch. And he said, you know, Tom, if there's any way I can thank you for taking care of my horses, it'd be to, to let you use them on this pack trip. So that's not something else that the average guy gets to use as some guy's horses. But to even further our good luck, uh, his friend, who we had not met at the time and had the great fortune of getting to know, who's an awesome guy, great to have around, uh, his buddy Ethan, he, he, he went through the wrangling, the dude ranch wrangling. The, the, he worked in Argentina for cattle ranches. Like he, This guy's been all over the place, and he is just crazy and great to have around. Anyway, so Ethan, he didn't give a shit about elk hunting. He just wanted to come camping. He, he just graduated college. He's kind of in that free and loose time of his life where he's got no direction, nothing tying him down. So he, in exchange for him coming with us to go camping and fishing, he just got into a recent addiction with fly fishing. Uh, you know, he volunteered to wrangle the horses and pack all of our crap into this camp. So we did have that luxury. I'll admit it's not the most hardcore way of packing into an elk camp, but we'll take it because it saved our ass. Oh, man. So as far as our own personal gear, we each had our, our, our pack that we wore on our backs, obviously, and our bows. Um, and then we each had, you know, two medium sized dry bags with sleeping bags extra food snacks uh i didn't bring any extra clothing joel brought a lot of extra clothes underwear and socks i brought two pairs of socks i'm just anal about that because once one pair of socks goes to shit they're wet or they get burned by the fire because i'm an idiot (laughs) and you you smell yeah and really yeah i mean that that probably that would probably another big factor of it so i did bring a pair of of uh, underwear and a pair of socks for every day, and it helped a yeah. lot. So. And I was like, I I skimped on the clothing, and I brought extra food because I remember working in the in Montana, or I mean, I'm sorry, in Wyoming, and just remember always being hungry. And there was never enough food. If you just relied on breakfast, lunch, dinner, you were going to be hungry the whole time. And the one one of the most important notes I I picked up when researching this trip is that. You burn four or five thousand calories a day. What we're doing, we hiked over ten miles a day, and if you don't replenish those calories, you're you're just going to be tired, fatigued, sore. You're never going to recover. You're just going to be kind of foggy. So I sacrificed my spare socks and underwear and clothing for a lot of food. So, you know, we really I bet we brought what 60, 70 pounds each of gear. Yeah. So it wasn't a ton. If, if you had to pack it in on your back, you could do it, and, and you just get a bigger backpack. We we went with a smaller, more of like a day hunting pack, which mine, I got the Burlestock X2, and Joel had the Team L, you know, the one that's a little bit bigger than that, and they were perfect. We had yeah. just enough room for all of our shit. If we, had, if we killed something, we'd be able to pack it out. Um, so, yeah, just important note about us having those horses, but if we had to do it backpack style, we probably could have it just would have sucked a little more it would have been a lot more minimal as well i mean we would have had a lot more mountain houses and whatnot and less clothes and all that kind of stuff yeah i mean we, we would have I mean, been thomas, so thomas you know on the on the hunting gear side of things he pretty much came up with or he did a lot of research and actually found a link to a website that 
pretty much detailed every single little thing that you could possibly think of to take. And like I said, we can I mean, we can post that link on the on the website and whatnot. But I think it was, it was uh, yeah, it was it was Brady Miller with GoHunt.com, and I listened to him. Pretty sure it was on the Rich Outdoors podcast, and he was talking about this list he made. He's got it broken down by ounces, by dollars, yeah. dollars per ounce, so, you know, like all this shit. He's got a. I'm a spreadsheet junkie, and that definitely made me happy. Yeah, and I, mean, <laughs> I, and I honestly like I took that that list that he said that he had, and I took the list that we had made before, put it together, and it was literally everything and more than what we needed to be honest. Yeah, with and, and we'll we'll post that up just because it is a great great resource. So, license, packed, all the gear, get to Montana. So, I guess, where'd you, where'd you fly into? Uh, what kind of general area did you hunt? Um, you know, kind of that process of actually getting to campsite. Yeah. Well, that was probably an overlooked area of our whole trip. We kind of took it for granted. Um, so, Ethan, with his trailer full of five five Mustang pack animals, pack horses, and a, uh, a gas F-250, one and a half cab, rolls up to the Billings, Montana airport. Our flight landed uh, about 10.30 at night, Friday night. So we left work, went to Bush Intercontinental in Houston, flew to Billings, Montana, and uh, <laughs> I'll never forget just the look of this guy in his truck with a with a gooseneck trailer and uh, five horses pulling up to the Bozeman or the, to the Billings Airport with hay, grain, saddles out the ass. I mean, he had all kinds of gear, and not to mention the gear that we all had on the sidewalk. And I looked at him and said, "What? Did you pick up another group of hunters on your way here? Like, where are we gonna put all our shit?" Well, this dude is salty and handy. And he figured out how to get all of our crap on the back of his truck, use the single lash rope, which is a long rope we use in packing, and literally lashed all of our gear on this big mound in the back of his truck. And I was like, holy shit, there's bows, optics, gear we've been accumulating, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, we made it work. And we all crammed into his truck. He had a nice cold six-pack of beer. Fabulous. fabulous beer we were excited to be there it took two and a half hours to get from the billings montana airport to our trailhead and so we got there about 1 2 o'clock at night in the middle you know in the morning and tied the horses up gave them some hay some grain we slept on the ground uh in our sleeping bags barely i don't even think i slept because i was so excited slept a few hours and as soon as the sun got up, we got up, uh, packed all our stuff, saddled all the horses, loaded the pack horses, put everything on our backs. And, uh, I mean, within a matter of two hours, we had that place cleaned up and we were walking into the, to the wilderness. So, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, to generally answer the question of where we flew into Billings and then, uh, we went Southwest of Billings. We're not going to... We're going to disclose that information about where we actually went. Southwest or southeast? Southwest of Billings. Southwest of Billings. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was in the, in the, uh, the Gallatin National Forest. Yeah. It's the general area, just north of Yellowstone. I guess it's considered the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. So you got grizzly bears, you got wolves, 
you okay. name it. It's a true wilderness with Black a capital. Mountain lions. Black mountain lions. Oh we have a story about that. Uh, true wilderness with a W. It means it's designated by the National Forest that it, this is a wilderness area, and that means no motorized vehicles, no wheeled conveyance, so you can't have a wheelbarrow or anything with a wheel attached to it. Uh, it's very limited, so it, it just that's something that excited us about doing it the real, you know, the real deal, primitive, you know, you're on your own, no cell service for hours, we were, yeah, cell phones were off or dead by the time we got to the trailhead. And really, like, you know, probably somebody's thinking, like, how did you choose this area? We, we did, we got a tip from the guy who gave us the horses. He told us, he told us the general area, and, and we actually dived into it a lot more than the general area, obviously. I mean, we found the drainages, we found the plateau, we found... Shit, he didn't even want to tell us yeah, that. We, like, had to force it out of him, and then we finally just went to Google Earth, and we're like, oh, if I were to go to this spot, here's where I would camp, or, you know, here's yeah. where I would hunt. So, I mean, we we got a general direction, like, hey, I'd, I'd look over here, but besides that, we, you know, we did a lot of, of uh, I guess it's called internet scouting. Absolutely. Well, I mean, <laughs> and, and, you know, Tom and Andrew, they both had these freaking badass topo maps, and Tom had a really good GPS so we could see elevations, we could see where it flattened out, we could see where meadows were. I mean, that helped a lot in choosing that area, exactly where we we're going to camp, how far there were to certain drainages, certain bowls, you know, certain uh, elevations that we wanted to hike to. So that, that all kind of played a role in, in where where we went and how we were going to do it. So that's probably, you know, something that you know, needs to be touched on because that's a super critical part of, of where we went and how we did it. So. So I guess very briefly, uh, maybe just kind of describe your base camp setup, just kind of how that, how that laid out. Pretty simple, really. Uh, it was awesome because Andrew, being an Army Ranger, he has access to uh, the naval base there. He lives in San Diego, and he could go rent a tent, and he rented a tent, I think, for $25 for the entire week, and it was a four- to six-man tent. And then my buddy Chad, uh, my roommate actually, he had a four-person tent, and we packed those two in, so we set those two up, and then um, we had packed in a table for cookware. We had, had a two-burner grill type of thing. I guess it was a two-burner uh, Coleman. Um, I think we had four cans of gas, uh, and then we had a, uh, a Dutch oven, a pot, a small pot, and then we had each of our own personal plates. And then we had, I think, three tarps. And actually, that was probably, like, the life savior of the trip, or of at least base camp, so to speak, because uh, it did start raining the fifth day, I guess. That was our last day of hunting. Yeah, or like the fourth or fifth day. It spit on us right when we got there, and then it really rained hard the fourth or fifth day. And uh, Ethan, you know, being that he didn't, really have anything to do he put up this giant tarp pretty much over the entire the entire setup that we had and uh thank god he did that because it rained its ass off and then it freaking snowed the last day yeah and uh and so yeah that it was it was very helpful to have like one big tarp to fit over everything um yeah, yeah we, until then until then I mean, we pretty much 
had the tents and we were camped along a nice little stream that came off the main river so it was nice slow moving water uh we'd go jump in there after a long day of hiking and hunting and and, and basically take an ice bath which was awesome on the joints oh man but uh yeah we, we had tarps and all that kind of stuff just to uh cover stuff during the rain and uh yeah it was quite cozy and we set it up real quick Okay, so now, now I guess tell me, take me through a day, walk me through, I guess, wake up, eat, and then kind of take me through you actually going on these trails and you know, calling in the elk and doing that whole process. Go for it, Joel. Well, I mean, it was pretty pretty simple in the morning. We wake up, uh, usually it's around 4.30, you know, 4.45 on, on one of the normal days. I guess the first three, four days we did that. And, uh, you know, most of the time we just had a quick breakfast. Uh, I had mountain houses. My tongue fucking, <laughs> fucking had MCT oil and peanut butter and... Heather's Choice. Bars, Heather, Heather, yeah, Heather's Choice bars. And, no, they were, they were dehydrated breakfasts uh, called Heather's Choice Backcountry Meals. And yeah. Damn, it's, those are good. There's like blueberry, vanilla. Is it similar to astronaut food? Yeah. But, yeah, you pretty much. Yeah, but it's like freeze dried stuff. Yeah. But instead of, instead of putting hot water in them, I would just put hot coffee in them so you're getting your coffee and you're heating up your breakfast. <laughs> oh, dude! And then I would I would slurp down a uh, like a, I brought these little individual packets of MCT oil. I mean, shit, dude, those are 150 calories in like half an ounce. Like yeah. that is calories per ounce is key. But anyway, so I don't take them if you don't want to poop. Yeah, <laughs> it, said, it, it says it on the warning. Do not drink if you're not used to them. You will spend more time on the toilet. I basically. definitely check that mark. And in the woods, that means uh, on a log. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we we we'd eat breakfast. We would boil a quick pot of coffee, uh, which is key. I would I would chug a thing of uh, I had these electrolyte replacement tablets. I'd chug one of those. Uh, yeah, we just basically tried to get all of our breakfast and hydration in, you know, we, we each chug a couple water bottles. Yeah, hydration was key. Yeah, uh, you know, cause once you leave, you never knew like when the next time you'd be able to fill your water bottle back up. Anyway, so yeah, that was our morning. We would predetermine the general area we were going to just based on the map and the GPS. Like, Hey, in the morning, let's get up at this time and hike, you know, two and a half mile, miles to this drainage. It looks like there's some meadows in there and that's all we knew we had no we, we were like exploring this country for the first time and uh that's what we did and as soon as it started getting light you know we, we weren't always at our destination but we just kind of knew the general area we wanted to get into we'd call we'd poke around you know we'd go a little bit we'd call and wait and and shit the first day we ran across a, a handful of elk just kind of taking our time and picking our way down the trail uh calling we had uh uh, a couple of bulls respond in the morning and then they quit responding. So we figured they were bedding down and, you know, for the day we went and sat a wallow. We found this is on the first day. I, mean, well, I was going to say the first day was different for each of us. Tom, you need to say what happened that first evening. Cause we got into camp oh, yeah. probably around, it was probably around two thirty, three o'clock. I was exhausted. I mean, I'm I'm 250. I'm a big boy. <laughs> uh, my joints needed to rest. I had to take a nap, you know, rehydrate, all that stuff. Tom did get antsy the first day, of course. And, uh, you know, I was antsy too, but I, I kind of wanted to get all my shit ready for tomorrow. You know, broadheads, arrows, all that kind of stuff. 
get my get my stuff ready to go. So I guess Tom Tom went out um, in the evening and yeah. So we, we got through like two o'clock and and we kind of wrote that first packing day off as like all right this is a traveling day probably not gonna do any hunting. But shit, we got there at two, and then it, it, it rained for a little bit. We were all in the tents. You know, we took naps. I took a nap. And about five o'clock, six o'clock, it, it 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 quit raining, and it turned out to be a very nice evening. And so I just packed. You know, I, I was getting my gear ready, so I, I pretty much just like put all my hunting stuff on and looked around, and like I didn't see anybody. They were all still sleeping in their tent. I was like, hey guys, uh, I think I'm gonna go hunting. You know, we got this elk tag and all that stuff. <laughs> we came all this way. Like, I think I'm just going to go down the trail a little bit and do some bugling. Well, lo and behold, I go. So, no one no one came with me. They were all tired. And anyway, so I, I went out. You know, I, I don't think I got further than a mile away. And I did some location bugles. And just like, oh, this is fun. I, this is how I've seen it on the movies, you know, or the TV shows. Is you just <laughs> go down the trail and you just bugle. Well... As I was coming, so as I got about a mile away from camp and it's getting dark, I realized, oh hell, I left my headlamp in my other bag, and I didn't have a headlamp on me. And this is brand new country; it's about to get dark. So I was like, you know what? I better just head back. This is fun. So as I'm heading back, I'm throwing a couple of bugles out. All of a sudden, I see this big old elk, elk bull coming down the 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 game trail up on the hill. He had to be a hundred yards away, and I remember seeing this big silver gray body, like, you know, most elk, they're like a tannish, brownish, yellowish. This thing was white almost, how, how uh, like, you know, gray he was. And he does this most uh, just outrageous grunting thing, I don't even know if it's a bugle, but it's kind of like, <laughs> it was like, he was an 80 year old smoker with emphysema getting out of bed to go check to see who lit a flaming bag of shit on his front porch and just and i was like oh my god that is a giant bull he starts raking a tree just destroying it with his antlers 100 yards away and i'm with a bow obviously so that's too far well then it gets dark <laughs> and i still don't have a headlamp and i'm still a half mile from camp so i i kind of just let him go and I boogied back to camp and I told the story and so yeah we had a pretty I would consider that a very successful first evening by yeah. myself so next day yada 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 we, we, thank we, you Tom for not letting us sleep that night at all yeah so everyone <laughs> stayed up dreaming of a big old old elk raking a tree with his antlers um, and grunting but so first I would just say first couple of days we poked around explored the country uh, Shit. The first, the first day was the, the most exciting day. That y'all hunted. Yeah. The first evening that we all hunted. Yeah. So, I mean, the first evening that we hunted, in the morning, like Tom said, we went back to the place where he saw the bull, and we, uh, no luck, we didn't see anything, so we just kind of kept going on this, on this National Forest Trail, because it got real elky, we were staying in like a kind of near like an open meadow it was real it, it had still been affected by the burn in the 80s and uh and we were camping right on the edge of this burn and where it turned into pretty much like lush green very heavy vegetation and and uh you know good thick trees and whatnot and so uh so this trail it went straight in the middle of them you know straight in the middle of of, of all this real heavy timber 
And we just kept kind of walking that first day. And we ended up going and finding a real good, a real good looking meadow. And it was a big meadow. It was probably, you know, probably 60 acres worth of meadows kind of scattered out with stuff in between them. Shit, it looked like a ski slope. Yeah, it did. It really did. And, uh, and the video we took, it doesn't do it any justice, but it was pretty much straight up to the top. <laughs> like a double, it was a double black. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and we got there in the morning, we heard bugles, they were super high, weather was hot, uh, we knew they were going to be high, we were just hoping that we were going to find some dumb ones that would be able to, you know, at least come meet us halfway type of thing. Um, so we heard some bugles, we couldn't get them to come down, so we went and, and, I guess halfway through this this uh, hike to this meadow, we found um, a really good wallow and pr- pretty far back, um, you know, away from the trail, where you would think that there'd be something something going. So we, we went out of this meadow. We said we're going to come back this evening, and we went and sat by this wallow for you know probably three or four hours, and um, basically nap time. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I definitely uh, definitely cooped up in a little hole and, and took a nap, and you know. I was, I was going to say Tom Tom can take the reins on something comes out. or yeah, I don't know. I was I had a log in front. I was sitting on one log, and I had one in front of me. And like I put my head down on it like a, a kid in high school, like yeah. falling asleep on his desk. So. But but we went, so we sat at the wallow. We didn't see any of the wallow. And we went back to these meadows. Probably uh, a mile away. Yeah, it was probably about, yeah, about a mile away. And it was about 4 o'clock. We had timed it, or actually it was probably like 4.45. We tied it to where, you know, the sun was going to be going down. It's going to be getting a little cooler because we had, like, probably 35 different theories about what these elk were doing <laughs> and trying to figure out their patterns and all this shit in the first day. And, you know, um, and so we were going to – we were thinking that they may come out, you know, in this uh, – they, they were going to come out in this meadow in the evening and maybe feed. So we were, we're at the bottom of it. And, and, granted, the morning before, we had hiked pretty much all the way up this thing. Because we had heard heard the elk up there, but we couldn't get them to come out of this heavy timber. So it was a it was a pretty good hike. Anyway, so we're at the bottom of this thing in the evening, and uh, and we bugle, or actually we hear bugles first. Tom puts out a location bugle um, with his uh, Phelps game call, and <laughs> it sounds freaking badass as shit. Way better than my bugles, and uh, and we get one of them to respond, and it sounds like he's getting closer. So we're we're kind of shitting our pants. It's the first day. We're yeah. hearing elk. We're fucking bugling back, and I mean, we are stoked out of our minds. Because, oh my god! You know, that, that's rare to find something like that. You know, your first day in the middle of the backcountry, you don't know where the hell you are. You have no guide telling us yeah, where they you're are. Just, you're just kind of like going on a whim. Well, anyways, so long story short, this bull ends up getting. Sounds like it's getting closer to us. Staying at the same elevation, but it's coming closer to us. You know. Uh, as a crow flies so i look at tom he looks at me i look at andrew and we haul us haul ass up this mountain i don't think i've ever gone up that mountain or gone up a mountain in general quicker than i've ever done that before and because he just kept getting closer and closer and closer and uh well we, we thought we thought about going up it Earlier that morning, yeah, well, and we, we went got like halfway. we went like halfway up, and it took us an hour, and we were sweating, exhausted. We're like, screw this, let's go back to the bottom and wait on this wallet. But anyway, my point is, 
when we heard that bugle, we did that shit in like five minutes. Yeah, like was, we ran up that thing. It was. I mean, if you if you want to see a big fat dude fucking running up a mountain as quickly <laughs> as quickly as I did, you could have seen that because it was adrenaline rush to the to the <laughs> It was it was pretty badass. And uh, so well, we I, get have, up I have there. seen you run, but it's usually for food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So so. We actually get in position, and actually, Tom was doing bugles, and I was cow calling, because we were thinking we were kind of simulating maybe a cow halfway coming into heat type of thing. Um, you know, we had listened to a bunch of podcasts and stuff about calling, done some research on calling, and we were, I was trying to put it all, we were trying to put it all together this first freaking day, and uh, and it actually worked, uh, to be honest with you. We, we set up at the top of this meadow. And a little pocket, me and Tom were probably 40 yards away from each other. And then Andrew had gone probably another 60 yards uh, a little bit further away and then up just a hair. You know, he was like on the upside of these trees. So we had, we, we, had, we, had, we had a big group of trees. I could yeah. see Joel and we could see an opening so that if the elk came that way, either one of us would have had a shot. Right. But then Andrew, we couldn't see was like maybe 20, 30 yards away on the other side of a big grove of trees. So, yeah. It, it, yeah, anyway, so, go on. So, yeah, so we're – so, I mean, this this bull is, is getting a hell of a lot closer. I mean, it sounds like he's right next to us. Just, I mean, yeah, he's – I mean, we think he's a big bull too because it sounds like super aggressive, you know. He's really, really active, grunting, chuckling at us. Every time we call, he's calling back. He'd interrupt my bugle just to, just to bugle back. Just, it was unreal. Yeah. And I, I've heard stories. I've seen videos of that. But until you experience that, yeah. oh, my. I, I, I kicking just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, and honestly, like, I feel like that that just calling that moment and hearing him and being that close to something, I mean, that made the trip for me right off the bat. I mean, he, you know, obviously killing an oak and all that stuff is great, but hearing that is unbelievable. For somebody who doesn't hear it every day or, you know, these yeah. guys who go – every single year and all that stuff so anyways so this bull comes probably he was probably 100 yards up the mountain from from thomas and i and little did we know he comes about 30 yards from andrew and andrew's as he described it he's hiding behind this little tiny freaking pine tree hardly even covered and uh and he walks 30 yards but he never stops walking and he kind of comes around Andrew and then gets downwind of us. And I think we were a little too aggressive on the call. And I think that, you know, I did I did some raking because we thought this was a big bull coming in hot. We thought he was going to yeah. just blast us. You know, he's going to come right in our wheelhouse. And uh, anyway, so, so long story short, he went in front of Andrew, which we didn't really know because we could never see him. We just heard him. And then... Uh, and then we had caught his ass in going across the meadow. I think he just kind of left it, lost interest. This was probably, you know, 15, 20 minutes worth of calling back and forth. Oh, no, it was like five, dude. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah I guess that's true. It was like five minutes. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, it was just – and so, like I said, we, we, had caught his, we had caught his ass in. Andrew came down. You know, we, we kind of went towards him a little bit, and, uh, you know, we're hoping that he was gonna, we are going to make him turn. Andrew comes down, and I've never seen Andrew so shook up in my whole life, you know. Like I said, he's the Army Ranger badass dude, and I could see his hand shaking, and we're like, man, what the fuck happened? <laughs> <laughs> we, were waiting, we were waiting for him to throw an arrow at this, at this elk, or at least hear, you know, some ruffles or something. Yeah, we couldn't see him. We had no idea. Yeah. We just heard the bull bugling back to us, 
we had no idea he was 30 yards from Andrew yeah. this oh, whole time. Oh. And I feel like Andrew just, like, froze up. Yeah, he, he did. I mean, I think he fr- it was a combination of him freezing up and then him not knowing. Because, like I said, the bull never stopped walking. Him not knowing just to make one sound, you know, some kind of some kind of sound to make him stop so he could get a shot. Man! Yes. Something as simple as that, yeah. And, uh... And so he, he didn't do it, and that that was our that was our first day first day encounter. I mean, it was incredible, really. Like it, we heard this freaking bull at sixty yards from us, uh, across you know on the other side of some trees, freaking bugling his head off. And yeah. it ended up it did end up being a pretty a satellite bull. It wasn't a big bull. We we caught uh, one glimpse of him. So he, he went across yeah. the meadow, and we caught him going into the other trees. But yeah, I mean, he, it was still a, a freaking shooter. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would have shot him. Any of, any of us would have shot him, and. It was cool to, to see it come together where Joel and I were up sitting on this opening. He, he was cow calling. I was 40 yards behind him bugling, you know, painting the picture of a cow going into heat. I'm, I'm competitive. I'm the bull. You know, screw anybody that comes in here to mess with this cow. And then here comes this little satellite bull, this little punk saying, oh, you got some women over there? Yeah, like, what's up? You know, and, and, and it was nuts. I mean, that thing had some pipes, too. And I know all y'all listening that, that have experienced this know what I'm talking about. But those that haven't, it, it's making the hair on the back of my neck stand up right now. Just thinking about it. Just just loud and the grunting. The <laughs> sound like a damn gorilla in those woods. And that, <laughs> made, yeah, I agree with Joel on that. That that made the freaking trip. If our trip ended there, we would have been happy campers. Absolutely. Uh, that, but really, that, that was the first day. That, that was just the first day. Yeah, I mean that will, and that was like served as the motivation to hike my ass up everywhere we went after that. I mean, we freaking, you know, that that wasn't as bad as a hike as we done, you know, the second, third, and fourth days, or I guess the second and third days. And honestly, like that's what I just kept telling myself with Thomas kind of looking at me like, "Hey, you're being a fucking pussy. <laughs> <laughs> like you need to get your ass up. Let's go." Uh, <laughs> The combination between, you know, hearing that elk bugle the first day and, and, you know, Thomas, it was like that that was what the motivation kept going for the whole time. Well, and Andrew, Andrew was stomping, yeah. stomping both of our asses into the yeah, ground, man. That guy can hike. And he gets that killer look in his eyes where he's like, we got to get up there right now. And we got to go kill that elk. Like, he's yeah. got it together. No, I got to ask. You mentioned earlier a satellite elk. Yeah. What do, what do you mean? What's So know? there's – so there's – you know. They, it's kind of just like a, I guess, a hunting term, kind of. But, a pecking order. Yeah, so you have a satellite bull and a herd bull. Your satellite bulls are bulls that are, they're roaming around a lot more than a herd bull, and they're kind of picking cows that they can take from the herd bull. Well, yeah, and like the herd bull has a herd of cows. Right, so he's the, big, he's the big daddy. He's big pimping. He's got 10, 12 cows with him. And he's in the middle of the herd, so hence the herd bull. And, and the satellite bulls, they're the young young guns, young punks, just like, oh, I see all them women over there. That herd bull, I'm going to try to get one of them, you know, because, you know, cows will move in and out. But anyway, so, yeah, that basically it's satellite just referring to the fact that these bulls, they, they kind of orbit the main herd, and you've got the Mac Daddy right in the middle. He's the big bull. He's the old mature bull you want to get. But yeah, so we refer to salad bull. It's usually a smaller, younger bull. He, they're, they're usually way dumber. Yeah, they more, are more dumb, dumber, and uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and they're they're the ones that for rookies like us, they're easy to call in because 
they're like, oh, another elk? Let's go fight. You know, yeah. like they don't think. But a herd bull who's old and wiser uh, and not in the right frame of mind, he's going to be like, yeah, that's just a human. I've got all my women over here. I don't need to go over there. So yeah. that's the nutshell. Oh, so that was day one. Yeah, just man. That was, like, that was like the most intense day, pretty much. I mean, in terms of like encounters, I guess. Yeah. Like in terms of encounters, that was definitely, well, shit. Then top this all off. So we're, walk, we're walking freaking home from from or walking back to camp from uh these from, from these it was like three miles away. Yeah, I mean it was a good it was a good hike. It was probably 9:30, 9:45 at night, and you know we're walking with our headlamps, we're talking or you know kind of talking, thinking we're hot shit. Yeah, thinking oh man, we just called this freaking bull in and we get probably I don't know, we're probably about 300 yards from yeah, camp. Probably. 300. It's close. And I think it went. Andrew, no me. Or it's Thomas, oh. me, Andrew, uh, in a line. And we're walking down this trail, and it kind of opens up before you get to camp. And you know, we're kind of scanning with our lights. You know, every now and then, not really purposefully. <laughs> and we look to the right, and there's this probably what 110 pound mountain lion. There's a mountain lion. Like a yes. Like a tom mountain 20, lion. Twenty twenty yards off the trail. I've I think- never seen. I, I mean, it's rare to see mountain lions in the wild like that. Yeah, very rare. And he was 20 yards away. I mean, no shit. And he's sitting on this rock, kind of like above, kind of above, above the above the grass. There's like a log in front of him. Like and I remember, I remember seeing those eyes with my headlamp, and I was like, "Oh, what is that? Like, is that a deer? Because we saw a lot of deer in yeah, that same area in the morning before, or the yeah. morning, that morning. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, "Holy shit, is that a you know? Like, oh, that's another deer." Well, then all three of us key our headlamps onto this on these eyes and then so the whole body gets illuminated and i see his tail flick and there's no if you ever had a mistake about what a mountain lion is or if if it is a mountain lion if you see that tail you know for sure like i was like holy shit that is a mountain lion and then andrew's like what what are you talking about and and then it all came together I, i followed his tail to his back and it's got this big furry back you see the hair standing up on its back and I followed that to its head. He's got this big fluff ball furry head. These big old hairy cheek. I mean, he just had like fucking hair everywhere. And then he had these little bitty pointy ears oh and these God. beady eyes that were reflecting in our headlamps. And that's when it dawned on me. I was like, that is a big cat. And so what we decided to do was all, we kind of like grouped together and we're like, hey, hey there. <laughs> Hey, cat! Yeah, we're, we're, we're yelling at it. At least somebody would have got that on well, video. Yeah, you know, like, y'all, aren't, y'all, y'all aren't carrying sidearms or anything like that? Yeah, no, no. So he okay. had a 357. Yeah. Thomas had a 357, and then uh, Andrew had his 45. Okay, so. I had my little chicken shit bear spray. So I'm sitting there. They're they're loaded with two hands full, and I got my bear spray. That <laughs> shit hits the fan. And he does. Uh, yeah, fat boy's gonna <laughs> die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but to save the pack. You know, oh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah. yeah, Joel saved the pack by getting eaten by the. <laughs> no, actually, in all honesty, I bet the bear spray would have done more good than. So you know. So you're trying to have a conversation with the. the I mean, we're just trying to make know. a noise so he can freaking walk away. <laughs> oh yeah, because like all these things, like Ranger Rick and Smokey the Bear, they tell you, yeah, be loud and big to a mountain lion to scare him off, and uh, so we started yelling at him. This mountain lion does not give a damn about what we're doing. And he looks at us like, I see you, I see, I hear all your noises, I will let you pass this one time. Like, it was, he yeah. was he was Gandalf on Lord of the Rings, but except he said, you shall pass this one time. 
And since then, we didn't walk back to camp the same. Yeah, never. Never the same again. We had needless, pistols drawn. to say, like, bear spray I drawn. my pants. It was, it was intense. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm curious. So you put an electrical fence around base camp. No, around, no, the, no, horses. around the horses. Okay, around the horses. Yeah. So you were wide open in the camp. So yeah. had this, you know, cat decided to come back the next night, you'd kind of be shit out of luck. Well, not necessarily. I think with the fire and the, like, they're not going to come into a camp. Okay. But yeah. the fact that we were traveling in a line, you know, they usually come from behind and they'll, you know, luckily we had Andrew in the back who's Mr. Like, will shoot silent scene. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Until, <laughs> until he doesn't know that there's a cat. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, no, I, mean, no. I mean, like, I just heard. No, him Andrew was... had a big flashlight too. He yeah. had a big LED flashlight. So, like, yeah, he, he was all over it. Well, and, like, I heard him just whispering me, like, just tell me where to shoot. <laughs> now, now I'm curious. So let's say you end up, you do shoot the cat. You oh yeah, you're. That's a fine. It, it uh, was, you probably a tag. We wouldn't have shot it. If it's self defense. No, no, no. So we we were we were waiting for it to like if it had jumped at us or something like. I mean, this thing was freaking close. It was like from here to the end of your driveway. I mean, I don't know. It was close. We weren't going to shoot it. We were, oh, trying, to, yeah, we were trying to scare it away. Because yeah. we had horses tied to trees 200 yards away from there. But had it, say, it just decided to come running at us, we would have shot at it. We, You, you, you call the, the, the game department, the local state fishing game department, say, hey, I, I shot this cougar that attacked me. Same thing with the grizzly bear. Except grizzly bears are federally protected. Actually, until recently, they got delisted. Yeah, they got anyway, uh, you, you, you just report it. I mean, obviously, your life is more valuable. Uh but, you, but if it we would have just shot it, yeah. I mean, that would have been, uh, that, yeah, that, that's illegal. Yeah, you gotta have to have tags. We definitely, hunt. we definitely joked about like, would we bury it, or, <laughs> whatever, or you know, something we like just really say, say attacked you. Right. Well, no, because they'll come. Uh, they'll come. That's a. I don't know if it's a myth or not, but apparently, like if a grizzly bear charges you and you kill it. They'll they'll take blood samples to test the adrenaline levels yeah. to see to make sure like, all right, this bear is actually attacking you. Yeah. And I had a GoPro. I didn't run it during this mountain lion encounter, but I, after that, I realized like I need to keep this GoPro on because in case we see a bear, I'm gonna start recording. That way, if either we end up getting attacked and die, like people will know, like yeah, that's how. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> or or on the flip side, if we end up shooting one, they'll see like, oh, this this dude was right on top of you. Yeah. Anyway, so that was a, definitely a wake up call, like where we were. We're in the wilderness. We got these giant Tom mountain cats. Just well, and shit. I just twisted my ankle. Mm-hmm. I twisted my ankle coming out, and like you know, my adrenaline started pumping. We kept going. It wasn't a horrible twist, but it hurt like shit whenever I did it. And that kind of you know that two hour hike in started made me thinking like the smallest little thing that could happen to you, whatever you know, like let's say you're cleaning something and. You slit your wrist or something, you know, something like stupid yeah. shit like that. You're fucking four miles away. You, you're not gonna be able to get anywhere. Well, no, you're four miles. You're four miles away from camp. I mean, then four hours. Four hours. Yeah. Away. That's what I meant. Four you're, hours. You're away. ten miles from the trailhead, and then you're another hour from cell phone service. Yeah. So I mean, that was something that like kind of dawned on me when I twisted my ankle. Like, man, I could have been really screwed if I would have broken my ankle. Or I mean, yeah. that would have been a nightmare. So that's just something to always. That I I always kept in the back of my mind, not not to make me more 
scared of being out there, but more aware of like being careful with yeah. shit. You know, just being cautious. Yeah, yeah, cautious. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have like duct tape or anything, just tape up your ankle. Oh, I did have duct tape. Oh, well. But I mean, still, like if I would have broken it, so you're not just going to tape up and be okay. Like, you're duct tape will fix it. it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll fix anything. Yeah. All right, so that was. That was Day day, that was day one. And I mean, that that literally was probably the most exciting day. Yeah, like, that it was. was. That was the the most exciting day for me, at least. I mean, mm-hmm. the next so, days were just like we just hiked our asses. And they were. It was hot. So yeah. Oh. So day one. I don't know how. We must have just found that one herd, or that satellite bull must have been in that herd, yeah. causing the other bulls to bugle. So we thought that spot, that meadow, was like, all right, that's our go-to spot. That's a little honey hole. Well, we went back the next day. We sat there all day the next day. Like, yeah. oh, they got to be here. Just wait till, you know, let's get there early. And we actually saw a bull up on the mountain. We, we glassed him. and But then he, we, we also watched him walk into the dark timber. We're like, all right, cool. He's going to go bed up for the day. Let's sit here and wait for him all freaking day. And that's what we did. So we, we, we made our way up the mountain. I mean, we're talking like less than a thousand feet of elevation gain, but it's still like, you're, we're we're tired and sore. Like we hardly ever slept. I mean, but we were excited, so that helped. I mean, it's still a big hike. You look, I, I, I looked at the footage I took of my GoPro and stuff, and it doesn't look anything like what it does in the real life. But, you know, we make our way up there. We do some calling. Don't get any bugles. I'm talking about the second day. And, and you know, and then we, we post up, up up top of these meadows, like overlooking them. We're at a good vantage point, but we're also hidden. And we stayed there all damn day. And... As soon as it got to that golden hour, we talked about on the first night, where we think, like, all right, now it's going to erupt. These bulls are going to start bugling, and we're going to get into them again. Nothing. Silence. Mm-hmm. Absolute silence. We got just owned. Elk one, us zero, you know. Oh, yeah. So, basically, the second and third day and fourth day, I guess, were pretty similar we were hiking our asses off, uh, exploring a ton of new country, found a bunch of new elk sign. Uh, we didn't really hear a whole lot of bugling. Uh, and the, this was the time whenever our, our theories were just going crazy, you know. And I think what we kind of settled on was a lot of those bulls and a lot of the herd, you know, cows and whatnot were traveling at night. And, you know, feeding during night and then going and bedding during the day just because it was so hot. And, uh, well, we saw, we saw footprints on the main trail, yeah. like that in the morning we saw fresh prints and, and shit, I mean, and, and shit and rub, I mean, so yeah, we deduced that they're moving at night and they're getting up high in the morning because it was a, it was a, what, three quarters moon. Eh, like, yeah. It was coming out of a full moon. Yeah. So it was like three quarters and then more of like a half moon towards the end of it. So we pretty much just spent the next three days of hunting. Just, I mean, we traveled a ton. That was, what, 83 miles? Yeah, our total? whole trip combined was 80 miles total and 12,000 feet of vertical elevation gain. So, like, we climbed, we hiked, we went up four, five, six different drainages, some of them twice. So, we'll just fast forward through those few days. I mean, we'd hear a bugle every now and then. It was always yeah. far off, always really high up. We, we'd try to get up there and, and basically fighting the heat and fighting the sun you know, we had maybe 30, 45 minutes in the morning, 30, 45 minutes in the evening when they were active. It was just rough. It was tough hunting, roughing it. So the fourth day, our second to last day of hunting, 
we go back to those same meadows we were at in the first day. And we're like, you know what? We gave them a couple of days rest. Maybe the, bull, the bulls have moved back in. Let's go try it again. Well, <laughs> as soon as we get there, you know, the, the, the skies turn black. The wind starts picking up. You know, it's just getting that storms of brewing kind of feeling. And, you know, it started raining and we got under these uh, small group of pine trees. They were green, luckily, so we weren't worried about them falling over. But as soon as we hunkered down and we knew it was going to get nasty because like it got black and we hunkered down under these this group of like four or five pine trees. We each kind of made our own little cave, little <laughs> cubby and it unfolded on us yeah. the thunder the, the, the bottom fell out the bottom fell out the the, the the thunder the lightning it got green that green electric feel it was not good and we just tried we just passed the time like telling jokes trying to keep the mood up you know i, I feel like when all you can do is sit there like your your attitude and you know camaraderie is what what gets you through it because like I remember just, I was looking back on the footage, like, we were laughing the whole time. Yeah. Like, we were like, we're so fucked. <laughs> I mean, you have to. Because, like, and I guess, you know, on a serious note, whenever you're, you know, whenever you get in that kind of situation, because we learned it from our, our previous trip, uh, you know, in July, and I, honestly, I did, because Andrew knew, he knew what was kind of going on, because, you know, he had spent a bunch of time in the woods as, as a ranger, and. He was like, we need to ditch our packs, stay at least 10, 15 feet away from them because they had, you know, our metal frames on them. And he's like, we're the only metal out here. If, if you if you have that close to you and lightning strikes, it's going to be attracted to that metal frame and, you know, just the natural heat of your body type of thing. And so... Oh, he didn't tell me that. that. Well, I mean, that's why we had our packs... A oh, did you have your pack away? Yeah, I had, no, I had my pack on my lap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. That was the first thing I thought about. I was like, we got to get our packs away and go, you know, 10 to 15 feet away. Oh, I had a, a revolver, a spare clips. I had a can of bear spray. I had my belt buckle. So you're pretty much screwed. Yeah, yeah. but I was also sitting right next to you all. So. Yeah, man. Everybody's screwed. Everybody's screwed, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we hunkered down, and, and then after, it was probably, what, an hour, hour and a half? We sat there for a long time as it, as it just... Freaked. We ate all my snacks. I had a ton <laughs> yeah. of snacks. I was, passing, I was passing around the beef jerky. We dipped a lot of coconut in. <laughs> so now this is, this is the first bad weather. Yeah. Have. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is day four. Four. Yeah. So up until then, decent, you know... It was hot. I mean, it was, it was Montana hot. It wasn't Texas hot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. really, though, I mean, it was still... It was 85 degrees. And hiking, hiking as much as we did, I mean, we got... I mean, we have to drink at you least pack at, a ton, at least five, five to seven liters of water a day. Yeah. I mean, it was at least that. You know, it was a lot. Yeah, and I had a my pack came with came with a, like a three liter hydration bladder, aka a camel pack. And so, like, I would fill that up twice a day. Joel had the, just one one liter Nalgene bottle. Yeah, that was so, like, shit. when we're sitting on top of these hills without any streams or anything, like you're, you're SOL. But yeah, anyway, so that this was like. It would rain, you know, in the afternoon, and then it would stop. But as far as, like, bad weather went, this was our first experience with that. So, yeah. And then we hiked back. I mean, we, like, it let up, and we were like, okay, here's a break. We're going to hike back. We hiked back. 
we're looking back as soon as we get to camp, you know, two hours or an hour and a half later, and it's freaking blue skies. It was crazy. I mean, it was just like, yeah. okay, well, well, the sun's going down now, so we, we knew we knew there was a cold front coming. We, you know, you can't check the weather out there. You don't get like an update. So we checked it right before we left, and we knew sometime in the middle of the end of the week it was going to get nasty, and a cold front was going to blow through. So we, we kind of kept telling each other, like, oh, this must be the cold front, you know? <laughs> so what, what type of weather, I guess, is uh, your preference, but also more conducive to, you know, elk cold coming in? The last cold? day. The last day we were hiking freaking out. Okay, so last day. Well, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. back so up. So this the, day of hunting was our last day of hunting, and that's when it was raining. Yeah, but I mean, the, in the we fall. woke up, we woke up, and it wasn't raining, so we went out, and we all we were planning on since it was the fifth day, we were planning on hanging around, or not hanging around camp, but you know, we went I think four miles from camp about. No, right? no, 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 no. We, we we went like two and a half miles. Two and a half. Okay. Towards the trailhead, so like country we haven't hunted yet, but we knew. At the end of the day, we're going to work our way back to camp because you don't want to go like marching off way away from camp, away from the trailhead. Because if you kill something, you're not going to be able to pack it out in time to pack out your camp. So we went towards the trailhead for the first half of the day. And then about noon, the middle of the day, that's when it got yeah. shitty. And I have a video of Joel, uh, I'm going to put it in our video, of him saying, well, it's raining and I forgot my rain jacket. <laughs> just straight up forgot it. We're like freaking, you know, an hour and a half out. Least yeah. shocking. Statement. <laughs> <laughs> I was just forgetting something. I was a special friend from the yeah, We're like, damn, dude. Like it's been raining all, after, you know, all last night, and you just didn't bring your rain jacket today. Yeah, I just forgot. Yeah, it. I forgot it. It was actually on a chair, we a little pack out chair we had, and uh, yeah. Anyway, so. We're about two miles, two and a half miles from camp, the the second to last day of hunting, and a fog rolled through where you couldn't see you couldn't see further than 100, 200 yards. I mean, it was yeah, thick. At least, yeah. And then it started raining, and we're like, damn, you know, you can't. We didn't hear anything. Oh, we heard a couple of bugles, you know, whatever. But, no, I mean we do. I mean we saw that was the most bulls we saw in a day three. We heard the big bull up top. Yeah, and we saw two, satellite bull in the spike. Two spikes, yeah. Or yeah. That, that was like pretty close to the spike. Anyway, yeah. so we saw them early in the in the morning, but you know, come midday, it's getting shitty, and so we make our way back to camp uh, for lunch. We we make some nice mountain house chilies for lunch, and we're soaking wet, by the way. So you're thinking like, oh, why these guys go back to camp? Well, we couldn't get any further from camp, and we were also soaking wet and ready for a fire to warm up. We did that for lunch. We get back to camp, you know, and then it just, like, it never, it got worse. It yeah, never got it any never, better. It, it kept raining thicker and thicker, heavier and heavier. The fog got thicker. We couldn't see the hillside we were camping under. I mean, it got so thick that we were, like, using trees that were 50 yards away, trees that were 100 yards away as, like, our meter. So if we could see one of those trees, we knew how far the fog was. Yeah. I mean, we were always planning if the rain had let up and it got a little bit better, we, we would go out that last evening, maybe a mile from camp, kind of like I did the first evening, see if we got lucky. Well, it never stopped. It just got worse. And we were already soaking wet. You know, we, we just said, you know what? This is not meant to be. 
Let's hit the whiskey. Let's hit the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> whiskey, whiskey solves a lot of problems. Yeah, man. So this yeah. is yeah. So that was our last day of hunting, and you could tell around camp. I mean, it was just everything's wet, everything's shitty. It, it, it you couldn't see anything. Like, damn it. Looking back, even see the mountains. It, it's hard to look back and say. And I remember thinking this during the time, like. You know, we're going to look back and say, oh, I wish we just went after it, you know, hardcore. But, damn, everything was muddy. Like, we were slipping around. It was just, we just like, you know what? We had a hell of a week. I don't think it's going to happen this evening. The weather didn't get any better. It actually got worse. So, we hung out, drank this uh, handle of whiskey our buddy gave us. And he wrote a note on it that said, good luck, fellas. <laughs> and uh, we finally cracked into that. Pendleton, man, that shit is good. Mm. It is so smooth. I don't think I've ever had it before. But anyway, yeah, so we, we, we cracked into that. Well, during the night, you could tell it kept raining. And I thought I heard what was like a rock slide or a tree falling or something nearby. And I was kind of on pins and needles, you know, not like kind of like lightly sleeping the whole time. And we're packing out the next day, so the hunt's over. And I hear this rock slide, whatever. Dude, I heard that too. It was, it was loud. Just goosh, 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 goosh. I thought the horses were like... Like, it sounded like a stampede of horses running yeah. away and hitting a bunch of rocks. Mm-hmm. And, well, and so, like, that night it, it got, like, quiet. Like, it, it was, the rain kind of fizzled out, and it was, like, I woke still. up, and I, like, I was, like, huh. I was, like, it's not raining anymore. And then I heard, we heard this freaking rock slide and horses, and it was just, like, weird mm. night. It was so... Weird. We, we, we're all kind of weirded out. I don't think any of us slept very well. And I remember Andrew was the first one to get up on our packout day. So this is our last day on Friday. And he goes, holy shit, guys. And I thought he was about to, like, find a dead horse or find a tree that broke and collapsed something. Or I thought, you know, a bear came into camp and ate all of our shit. No, he goes, it is covered in snow. It is snowing. And we're like what so we all jump out of our sleeping bags get out of the tent well our tarp had collapsed so this big monstrous tarp tent that ethan had built over all of our tents uh that was the rock slide noise <laughs> this freaking that thing more reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. oh yeah and we thought this was like 100 yards away no this was right on top of us this tarp collapsed and got all this snow accumulated on top of it i had to like use most of my strength just to push my way out of the tent and push the tarp up as the snow is like sloughing off of it on the other side and i was like holy shit there's feet of snow on top of us i mean it was a few inches but yeah it, it felt like, like a foot it, it was, was like a, 95 degrees weather whole yeah fucking it was a winter wonderland like the nutcracker whatever like it was hot 90 we're worried about dehydration and heat stroke within two days it is below freezing and snowing on everything and we said, well, I guess the bulls are going to go crazy now. Oh, my God. And we and were like, well, it's also going to suck to pack up everything in the snow and the wet and the cold. And we weren't, we weren't prepared for, like, a cold winter hunt. So yeah. you, you didn't have, you know, cold attire or... We had, like, if it got into the 40s or the 50s, you know, we had, like, a sweater, I had a vest. So nothing like... I'm going to go hunting for a few days not like, in the snow. No, no, no. no. Not like thick. Hell no. You know, I had like an Under Armour base yeah. layer uh, and then like a long sleeve shirt and a vest and a hoodie. It was like 
So like we got oh, yeah. warm, you know, like it, it was fun. It was but actually, fun. yeah, it actually was like pretty comfortable walking out because I mean, obviously you're working with pretty good sweat walking yeah. out. So we packed everything out. It was actually freaking badass because we were just like in the snow and it was yeah. just cool. I mean, it was cool. It was, it was really like a cool. like living in Houston once every ten years. You and get like a snow, snow day, you know, yeah. and it's like that was like that, and everything's covered in it. Yeah, but we hiked out, and, like, everything was going good until we get, like, a mile from the trailhead. And we see, um, I was gonna, the horses are pretty far ahead of us, and, you know, we hadn't seen them in a while. We kind of come over this hill. I'm about to croak and die and fall off the hill myself. <laughs> my freaking hip is giving me shit, and, you know, they're ahead of me, but we see the horses stop, and we don't see Ethan. And then we look, we're like, where the hell did Ethan go? We see him at the freaking bottom of the hill. We're like, oh shit, that's not good. And we see, then we see a horse at the bottom of the hill. We started like 150 feet, like, it's not a small hill. No, I mean, it, it is, I say hill, I mean, it was a freaking mountain. Yeah. Like, it, it was, it was almost, it was probably like 80% of the way down to the river. Well, I, I'll never forget, like, my, I guess, whatever past experience I had with, with, dude ranches and, and packing horses in the mountains i remember seeing those four horses on the trail and my first thought was well we have five horses <laughs> and my second thought was i don't see ethan <laughs> yeah. so instantly i knew because like when, when shit goes bad with horses in the backcountry like it goes bad fast like i think uncle val said it best where you know it's all fine until it's not and then it comes unraveled mighty quickly. You know, he has a saying like that. And I remember looking at that, and I went from, oh, look at the horses, to something's not right. Yeah, there's no cowboy hat. There's nobody on top of one of those horses, and there's only four of them. So, yeah, going back to Joel's story, like, we look down, and, you know, 100, 150 feet down this mountain is Ethan with his horse completely unpacked, this pack horse. And he's starting to repack it, and he yells up at me, at us and says hey dinosaur which is what one of the horses is named dinosaur is loose up on the trail him and ford rolled down the hill they fell off the trail it's bad go catch dinosaur and so i'm in the front of the line and i was like i took all my pack my bow my can i took everything off because these trails there's not like a lot of room to pass horses on so i had to like climb up the trail and go back down on the other side of the horses and I caught dinosaur, and I noticed his two uh, panniers, which are the like the the cargo bags that you use to, to pack on these pack saddles. They had come unhitched from the pack saddle. So essentially, these these panniers are like big canvas bags, and they had these two leather loops that hook around these metal hooks, basically. Like they look like a like a, a boat cleat, you know, like something you tie your boat to. So anyway, those are both falling off, and all they're hung, all they're being held on by is this one lash rope which you use to kind of tie everything together so they're just dangling so i had to unlash them take the lash rope off re re you know put the panniers back on the on the on the deckers of the the pack saddle and and redo that and this whole time ethan had to flip so the horse ethan's messing with down on the bottom of the mountain this the the pack the saddle and the pack and everything went underneath him it completely slipped and went underneath the horse so Ethan had to undo everything, the saddle, the panniers, the, 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 the mani, the lash rope, all that stuff. So we spent a good hour, hour and a half getting these horses back into shape. And I'll never forget Ethan walking that horse up the hill 
and putting the string back together and said, well, glad, glad I didn't have to shoot one of them. It's like, what a great day. Yeah. And <laughs> I walked back. I was in front. So at this point, I'm in the front of the, the horse string, and I'm talking to Ethan. I was like, damn, dude, that could have been a lot worse. You know, and he's like, yeah, man. I went down there, and I had my pistol in my hand. I was ready to shoot those two horses. He just thought that they had broken their legs, and like, what else can you do? Can't do anything. Yeah. Which would have made for a long day, because in the National Forest, you can't leave horses dead like yeah in there you gotta pack out a horse so we would have had to quarter them up <laughs> clean them pack them like first we would have taken all of our shit back to the trailhead and we would have taken two horses back had to pack quarter we had to first we had to clean them quarter them and then pack them out back to the trailhead and then we had to bury them somewhere you know away from that mm-hmm. so that we we said that going on the way home it was like holy shit man thank god that we didn't have to do that. That would, it, that would have been all night, all night affair. Like, I mean, we would have, we would have been till 12, 1 in the morning. I mean, it would have taken a long time. And that's an interesting segue into the title of this podcast, Happy Trails Podcast, because we all have experience with, with wrangling, guiding, using horses on trails and backcountry. And, and it's kind of ironic. The reason I picked that title is, you know, yeah, it's all happy trails in the mountains, until it's not, and then it gets very, very bad, and things turn south <laughs> quickly. Yeah, then you're fucked. Basically, <laughs> yeah. that should be our motto. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's good until you're fucked. So you know, packing was great. We packed in just fine. Uh, hunting was great. Hunted just fine, but it wasn't until the pack out we've gone over 80 miles, and in the last mile, these two horses, the the trail just got muddy, and they they gave yeah, way. That's, that's- and it, and it yeah. yeah I mean we were picking up six inches of mud with each step and and the horses went down. Luckily, you know, by the grace of God or whoever, they survived and they weren't un, they were uninjured. They were perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. Look, the, the hillside is very vegetated, and grassy. There's no no rocks, so it's actually the perfect place for them to fall. But yeah, it just goes back to that. Like everything's great and peachy. We're excited to get out of the trail out of the camp and uh off the trail get to the bar get some beers some burgers and just like that your fortunes can change and one thing i i hope to do with this podcast uh in future episodes is 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 interview some of these guys like ethan who are just stone cold the most extreme fucking dude stone cold cowboys that they when that happens they don't they don't waste time panicking you know, they don't waste time saying, oh, my God, what do we do? They jump to action. They know exactly what needs to be done, and they do it. And and by that, they save horses' lives. They save people's lives. There's stories, guarantee you, across this country of guys doing this same type of thing, whether it's for dude ranches, for, for just regular personal use of horses, hunting, you know, whatever. Things go wrong when you introduce horses into the mix, and, and when they do, they get a lot worse than, than you can ever imagine. But at the same time, we do it because we love being out there, and we love going on the trail. We love hunting. We love riding horses. We love them more than death. And we, more, you know, love them to death, and uh, they're they're a great tool and a great use resource and, and great friends. But at the same time, you your head has got to be on a swivel. And you got to have your awareness about you that. When things go wrong, they go wrong hard, yeah. you know? <laughs> so that, that's kind of like what I wanted the intro to be to this podcast, but 
you know, it, 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 we're just playing anybody. This is our first episode. Joel and I, we, we both spent a lot of time in the mountains, a lot of time with horses. Uh, I think we, we'll get more guests on here. You know, we started this off with our own story with our buddy, John the Strom, humbly interviewing us, even though we just kind of took over. <laughs> oh, y'all, y'all good. I guess one last question I'd ask is, what's the one for each of y'all? You because know, you know, I assume you're kind of doing this again. You're going to do Rifle mm-hmm. again in November, right? November? Yeah, I hope so. Well, hopefully, if you do your permits... No, we have. Oh, already got the permit. Okay, already got the permit. Okay, so what? I guess what's one thing that you know each of you took away from this hunt, whether it's one experience or one thing you'll remember to do the next time, or something you wish you did this time. Kind of one thing to just kind of imprint it in your mind of something that you did or didn't do. Oh, I know. I know what to tell my head. Go for it. I think. I think the first thing is to, to be aware of the cautiousness, but like, you know, you have to be you have to be careful when you're out there, right? Like, you always have to have your head on a swivel, kind of like you said. And that would be the one thing is like, hey, you're a long ways from, you know, being in a hospital, being able to be taken, being able to be taken care of, of, of any kind of particular wound or anything. So you got to be careful about that. There's no lifeline out there. I mean, technically, well, I mean, he he did have like a beacon lifelike thing. Yeah, have a like, SAR. He set it off. Like, SAR link beacon. But so I mean, like, who who the fuck knows how how long that would have taken? Well, for somebody to and they're guaranteed like a twenty thousand dollar bill. Right. So, so I mean, I mean, that's that that's like if you you broke your leg, you see the bone sticking out, and right. you're dying, and there's a grizzly bear coming up, you right. push that damn button. So that would probably be, I'd say that probably be the second thing. The first thing is, kind of you know, I guess counterintuitive, but like. You have to have a mentality to go balls to the wall. I mean, Thomas had that mentality, and I didn't really have that mentality at first. But like, whenever you're by your, whenever you're not with a guide and you're out there by yourself, you don't know where the hell any of these elk are or anything. Like, and I'm not saying because we weren't successful, you know, obviously, but like, and I'm not saying we were experts at it, but like, you gotta have a mentality to just like go that extra mile, push yourself. Even though it sucks ass and you're tired and your <laughs> legs hurt and your feet hurt, like you need to go that extra mile to make that effort to get there. I mean, whenever we went into freaking uh, jungle, it was like, like that that hike was totally worth being in that drainage and getting in there and you know seeing all the sign that we saw. We didn't see any elk, but I mean we knew they were living up there, mm-hmm. and, and that was a place that I guarantee you. If the weather conditions would have been right and it would have been a week and a half later, that's where those elk would have been, yeah. 100%. We wouldn't have known it had we not gone up there. Absolutely. And that, I guess that would be the third thing is we should have gone probably a week and a half or two weeks later than we actually did because it was hot and because I don't think the bulls were aggressive enough. Yeah. We, we caught the very, very leading edge of the rut. And we knew that. And, and due to some other circumstances – including our friend Sam Payne's wedding, which is happening this weekend. So excited for you, buddy. Can't wait to rage with you. R.I.P. Uh, but, yeah, he yeah, – R.I.P. <laughs> that was pretty much the reason why we didn't go later. No big deal. We, I mean, shit, this past week it's been snowing the whole time. So we, we, we timed it good. But, yeah, it's hard to time the rut. It's always, you know, pending different extenuating circumstances. I think um, – Yeah, what was yours, Tom? I'd like to hear that too. I – 
I think for me, I knew coming into it, like, we're going to go balls out. We don't know what we're doing. We're going to hike or at, whatever we lack in knowledge, we're going to make up for with effort. Like, that was pretty much a given. I think, and I knew this also coming in just from past experiences, but I think the one of the most important things about a trip like that is you don't have cell service. You're not looking at your damn phone all day. You're you're connecting with other humans. You're having conversations. You're connecting with Mother Nature. Mother Nature doesn't give a shit about you. That's a very important lesson. Uh, you know, like Ethan and Andrew. I knew I've met Andrew once before or twice before. Like we, we knew each other, but it's not until you spend six, seven days living with these guys with no cell phones, no distractions, you're hunting, you're, you're relying on each other as, as teammates, as, as tribe members, as whatever, however you want to say it, like you're relying on each other to, to, to make it happen. There's no room for slacking. There's no room for, you know, excuses or bitching and moaning. We're all in it together. We're all wet. We're all cold. We're all tired. We're all hungry, except for me, because I brought a lot of extra snacks. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just, it's just... It, the, the connection there is way, way more deep than, than it would ever be, you know, at a bar or, you know, at a coffee. You know, like, I just think that the relationships you build out there with, with trust and in your life depending on each other, as well as being away from the, the, the distractions of modern life, is it, huge. And it's way, I can't overstate it enough how important that is to me because this whole past week, I've just like, people come to me with all these little trivial problems and I'm like, Bitch, we weathered out a thunderstorm on the side of a mountain underneath a pine tree. I don't care that your printer ran out of paper, you know, like, <laughs> but I think along those lines, uh, it really, really, really changed that trip like that changes your perspective on life. I mean, I came home and I took the best damn shower ever and I gave my wife the best damn hug ever. And, and it's just everything's so fresh and clean and new and exciting you know, eating at a restaurant, eating home-cooked meals, eating vegetables, sleeping in a warm bed, shitting on a toilet. Like, these are things <laughs> we take for granted on a daily basis, but you go live in the woods for one week, and I guarantee you, those will be the most amazing things that are waiting for you when you come back. And yeah, I, agree. I can't wait to go do it again. I mean, it sounds miserable. We've told some crazy stories, but shit, I loved every single minute of it. Absolutely. And I cannot wait to do it again. And I think with that, I mean, that was our first episode. Until the next time. Until the next episode of the Happy Trails podcast. Happy Trails. Happy Trails.